Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name is Inigo Alexander. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Over the last weeks, the issue of institutionalised racism has once again made global headlines following the death of unarmed black man George Floyd at the hands of the Minneapolis police. The killing sparked mass protests worldwide, urging the establishment to address issues of institutionalised racism. And the global TV industry has responded to the call. Broadcasters and streamers have pledged their support for the Black Lives Matter movement, with dedicated programming, community outreach and financial support for organisations working to tackle the problems. Paramount Network's docuseries Cops and A&E's Live PD, both accused of glorifying police aggression, have been cancelled in the US, while Netflix and the BBC have pulled comedy series Little Britain for its use of blackface characters. But is the media industry doing enough? In this episode, I am joined by three British executives to discuss their experience with black representation and which steps the industry can take to ensure it evolves in a fair and just manner. Uh, my name is David Cornwall. I'm the managing director of Scorpion TV. Uh, we are a uh, culturally diverse uh, factual uh, distribution company. My name is Darren Lawford. I'm creative director of Woodcut Media, a factual independent company in the UK. Um, my name is David Chikwa. I'm a producer and partner of um, Three Tables Productions, a scripted indie uh, based in London. Thank you to the three of you for joining us. Now, there's a lot to talk about and not that much time, so let's just dive right in. Diversity and representation have long been an issue within the television industry, and it's come to the fore once again. But what was it like when you each joined the industry? What was the atmosphere around the discussion like? Was there a space to talk about it at the time? Uh, perhaps, David, we could start with you. I joined the industry in 2001, my first kind of proper job, you you could say. And I I, um, I applied for a role as a runner in a distribution, co- in, a, in a production company, production and distribution company, back in the days when they used to have the job ads in, in, in The Guardian. And um, went along to the interview and got the job. And what was interesting about that was that um, my boss at the time was a German guy. And in the company, there was another black uh, head of production, a guy called Delroy Dixon. And there was uh, a couple of black uh, producers. And I think what was interesting about that was that you know, ironically, he's from Germany, perhaps, you know, with you know their history and so forth, you might not think of them as the most sort of, uh, you know, culturally aware, perhaps, sort of countries. Um, but he, he was also a foreigner in the UK, and his kind of outlook was very egalitarian. If you can do the job, you're in. And um, I think that's what we all benefited from at that time. But what did become apparent, because I, I was a newbie to, to, to the industry, what did become apparent was that that wasn't the case for the majority, if not, you know, it, it, or, or the, the other TV companies that, that that we came across, it did seem to be uh, a very much a, a, a closed shop. It's who you know. It's you know what what your background is, and a nudge and a wink, and and you're in kind of thing. So, had I you know had I turned up for an interview in another production uh, company at that time, would I have got the job? Perhaps, perhaps not. But as I say, I think because he had this egalitarian outlook. Whoever can do it, all hands on, all hands to the pump, then then you're in, and that, and that's how I got in. So uh, yeah, so, so just to say that um, I was shocked that that wasn't the case for the rest of the industry. Um, so I had a I had a couple of different entry points into the TV industry. So the very first exposure I had to TV was when I was a music journalist, and I was approached to help develop a TV show, and I didn't really know anything about about the industry. They offered me, you know couple hundred quid to come in for the day and brainstorm some ideas for a new show um, on Channel 4. And 
at the time they had you had the Richard Blackwood show on and you had another show called Flavor. And they're like, we're looking for something that could sit alongside those two shows. And so this is 1998. And so, so UK Garage was just coming through. Um, so I came up with this music show idea. Um, and I said, well, the UK Garage is really big. So what you want to do is, and I told a few of my mates, like, oh, I've got to develop this idea. What do you think? Oh, it sounds interesting. About three months later, I got three separate phone calls and emails from my friends saying, Darren, your, 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 um, your show's on TV. I'm like, there's no new shows on Channel 4. They said, no, it's a new series of flavour. I said, I don't know what you mean. They said, go and watch the new series of flavour. And I watched the new series of flavour, but it was obviously clear that they used my knowledge to benefit themselves more than it benefited me. They could say that they gave me a portion of money to develop the idea, but it doesn't really equate to the same thing. Now, the second time I encountered the TV industry was about a year and a half later. And I was, again, I was a music journalist, but I was asked to help launch a youth TV channel called Where It's At. And much like how David talked about his experience, that was completely different. It was completely egalitarian. It was run by David Rose, who at that point had run the Nickelodeon channel. He'd run Disney Channel and he was just trying to set up his own youth TV channel. And they brought me in and they gave me loads of responsibility. I did stuff online, I did stuff on air. And then I brought other people in. And it was a super, super diverse crew of people. And that, in a similar way to David, gave me a false impression as to what the industry was like. Because I then moved to the BBC and I was at One Extra and Radio One and BBC Three. But because I was focusing in the world of black music, primarily, again, I had a disproportionately skewed interpretation of the industry. It was only when I moved more squarely into TV, to mainstream television, that I realised the, the lack of diversity. And it was like, it's just very apparent because you would just walk into a room, or you'd walk into a building, or you'd walk down a corridor. And I was like, okay, these are both divisions of the BBC. But like, in one room, there are loads of people from lots of different backgrounds. And this other room, there's no one. And it's like that within the industry. And I think now working at like working at indie, like I go to like indie events and whatnot. And like I was actually chatting to someone yesterday and I would really appreciate if someone could help me out with this. Uh, like there are loads of people that run black led companies. Okay. I'd like to know how many other black creative directors work at white led companies in the factual space. Because I was trying to work out who they were, aside from myself, and I'm struggling. And I guess that's like, it, like that's a very long-winded answer to your question, but that kind of sums up the situation for me that we're in. Oh my God, I'm showing my age, because this goes back to like 1997 and like leaving right. university. Right, my story started in 1998. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I, I think, I'm looking back, my first thing is how naive I was and how incredibly green I was um, in terms of what might be required. And um, my partner, in terms of thinking about this session, asked me, hey, what advice would you give to your younger self in terms of how might you think about kind of your career differently with the advantage of hindsight? And my, my first steps were very much in terms of, I just need to start on the bottom of the rung, kind of I need to get a runner position and work my way up. And uh, my actual very first job in the industry, to be honest, was in response to an ad in The Guardian, uh, where Framestore uh, were advertising for runners. Um, and I saw the job and I applied. And fortunately, I had a job in London. So I was literally able to kind of go to their offices on Noel Street every other day, go to reception and say, I'm here. I've sent my application in. When can I have an interview? <laughs> so I, I literally kind of pounded on the door predeterminedly. But hindsight 
And the advice I would have given myself would have been to think more carefully in terms of what area of the industry do you want to work in and realizing um, that maybe working in post-production and taking something of a circuitous route um, in hindsight uh, might not have been the best move. And Darren, you mentioned uh, something that I thought was interesting then, the sort of false perceptions of the industry when you first entered. Um, so if we look at the present time, do you think that that is still the case? Do you think that those obstacles remain or do you think that there's um, perhaps a different set of obstacles for black members trying to enter the industry now? So I think so I think when I entered the industry, especially in the factual space, like I got the impression of this past era. So I got the impression of this past era where there were loads of black execs um, and loads of sort of black producers and directors doing really interesting shows. Like I heard of sort of a multicultural unit that used to exist at the BBC. I would hear people that talked about like working on things like Black Britain, but not just Black Britain, but just other, you know, just, just opportunities. And these were like people that were like a generation above me. And I didn't see those opportunities manifesting themselves in that way for me personally. Uh, what I did see was people of about my age either getting frustrated with their progress or leaving the industry a little bit. Uh, and then I see a younger generation that are struggling to understand how difficult it is to manoeuvre their way through the industry. And I think part of the challenge with a lot of the initiatives is probably been a lack of consistent momentum over the years, which means in many ways they're always playing catch up which therefore means as a consequence, it never always, it never necessarily quite feels enough because it kind of feels like it should have been happening consistently for years. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to redress an imbalance and a deficit of talent or access to talent. That's a result of the system, not as a result of the talent themselves, if that makes sense. That's actually really interesting because I was going to bring up um, some Ofcom figures from uh, one of the reports last year, which found that uh, minority ethnic talent working in um, the creative and content production aspect of the industry, it fell from 9% to 8% over the last year, um, which seems a bit odd given that there has been a bit more of an increased talk, at least about the issues. So a lot of companies seem to talk the talk, but perhaps they might not walk the walk. They're, like As you mentioned, there's still more that needs to be done in order to redress the imbalances. So how do you guys think that that can be addressed, where would be a good starting point? Well, I think um, I've just always found it kind of always been scratching my head as to why is it so difficult just to, you know, to, to put the shows on. I know that sounds kind of trite uh, to some degree, but there seems to be a lot of, you know, hand-wringing uh, in the, you know, in the industry and, um, you know, what, what, you know, what, what can we do? But um, I, yeah, I'm just, I'm just bemused as to why it's so difficult for these shows uh, to, to, to come through the pipeline. So I guess that would be my, you know, my, my, my first sort of call would be to, you know, to the execs, to the, uh, to, to the commissioners, to the channel heads, you know, just, just, just get the diverse shows that you are being pitched. Just, uh, you know, just, just as long as the quality's there, uh, just push them through and, uh, uh, and get them on air. I just can't, as I say, can't get my head around why it's so difficult to do that. And it's not just a case of, uh, you know, uh, we've, we've seen it recently with the, the, the panel shows where, you know, they've, you know, they've got this kind of uh, diverse panel is kind of uh, the, the, the norm nowadays, but um, just, just 
you know, diverse characters in everyday situations, just living their lives, just being themselves, you know, not just having to be a character amongst several, just, just living their, their realities and, um, you know, and just, uh, you know, and, and entertaining us. Um, that would be my first step, really. I think one thing is, um, uh, and it is happening more, is obviously, to my mind, it's very much the power structures, which in a way is something that is being talked about in the wider context in terms of if the people who are the decision makers or who are the gatekeepers, if um, those people are only broadly or in the majority from a very specific and singular background, i.e. often white, straight and male, or even say white, straight and female, then inevitably it's going to be more difficult for people that come from a different background to um, to progress, to kind of get their work on screen, to be mentored, to be championed. Um, and that's not to say that there aren't some incredible people out there that are advocates and allies and um, champions. But for me, kind of lasting and fundamental change has to come when the actual kind of power structures themselves are more reflective of the um, of the community. I, I agree with that. To, to, to build on that point, I mean, it's striking to me because this was only a very short period of my career. I was a commissioner for about a year um, and it was wasn't for a big channel, it was for a local channel, London Live, and I was commissioning first-time filmmakers, and then I was given a strand to look after, which was looking at taking people from the online space and putting them on TV. So this could be online talent, it could be online formats, it could be genres that were popping online. Now, because it was a London-based channel, um, and because I was being tasked with taking things from the online space that weren't normally on TV, there was a disproportionate amount of amazing black talent that um, I had access to. So after I left London Live, almost a year to the day that it was announced that I was leaving or that they, they, they were shutting down the commissioning team, they announced that ITV2 was commissioning a series of shows to support the MOBOs. And at least three or four of those companies had got their first commission from London Live. Now, I could now say that there's at least half a dozen companies that got their first commission at London Live, black or Asian, uh, that have now had commissions on BBC, ITV, Channel 4, Sky. One of them got nominated for a children's BAFTA. Now, those people were really, really talented anyway, but they felt like they were going to get a better chance and a better chance of being understood by speaking to someone like me. And the key thing to mention as well is that not all of the shows they pitched me were about the black or the Asian experience. They were just really interesting ideas. And they happen to be black and Asian. And I think this is the other thing that would help in terms of changing the, changing the structures internally. It's like when you receive a pitch or when you see someone that's a person of colour, that doesn't define all the things that they want to make or do. And I have to, you know, and in that regard, actually, I have to mention just, just, just something I worked on last year, uh, which was with um, National Geographic. It's Joseph Fines, it's Serrano Fines, it's a three part series like retracing like the world's greatest explorers first expedition from 50 years ago okay when i pitched the idea to nat geo i'd never made a show like that before in my life okay and we'd never made anything of that scale before but they said this is a good idea you've got unique access the company's got a unique take on it so let's give you the opportunity and i think for whatever reason that doesn't happen as often when the person that you're speaking to doesn't look like and in terms of leading the change within the industry, who do you think should be responsible for that? Because obviously the public service broadcasters have a, a responsibility of reflecting and catering to the culture that they operate in. But you could also argue that the emergence of streamers has 
taken over that responsibility. You know, Netflix has been pushing really hard on that front. So who do you think should lead the charge? It's an interesting one in the sense of um, like kind of what's going on with um, Black Lives Matter now in terms of is it actually the audience's responsibility in some way to lead by purview in terms of where they tune in? And I think it's very pertinent, for example, uh, especially with, say, youth audiences, um, that the BBC is painfully conscious that they is a huge kind of drift of that audience that is basically their future audience to online to the SPODs and the conversation around say BBC Three becoming linear again I think is a very pertinent one in terms of perceptions so on the one hand you can obviously say that you know it's the director general it's the chief creative officer you know it's those leaders who should or you could say it's the community and I think both of those two groups do to different degrees but simultaneously I think TV in a way exists for the consumer it doesn't necessarily exist in of itself it exists to deliver to an audience so you could say that in many senses it is the audience that um, is actually now in the present time leading that change by where they're choosing to uh, spend their, their time and use their eyeballs. And in some senses, it's the industry that's having to catch up with that. I think that's a great point that David makes. Um, you know, obviously the audience will vote with their feet and um, it's kind of a, uh, you know, a, a three-pronged uh, attack, if you like, when it comes to diversity uh, on, on, on television. It's, 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 the, it's the sort of the moral um, imperative and it's the right thing to do. It's, it's the audience as well demanding, demanding change. And it's also, you know, the, the, the financial side that it does make sense. These shows are commercially viable, you know, and, 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 and they do, they, they do make, it, make, make a return on, on, on their investment. So, um, yeah, change can, can come from all, from all levels of the, of the industry and also from the audience. It can also come from us as, as, as diverse executives. Um, I'm a great believer in in the network. I'm a great believer in you know that there are as long as we, you know when we get together, there are people in the room who can who can help each other and um, for, you know forging those connections amongst ourselves and getting these opportunities furthered is also a way to to, to force change from within. I've I've benefited from schemes as well along the way and I, internally at the BBC, um, CDN, Creative Skillset, a whole bunch of stuff. And broadly, those schemes have been really good and really beneficial. And I can see that the other people that were on those schemes too, by and large, have benefited from being a part of those schemes. The challenge comes with the perpetual momentum. And that's and that's part of the challenge, is that those schemes don't have perpetual momentum. They either start or they stop. Or the people that came out of those schemes, there aren't always the ongoing support to enable them to continue to thrive and develop within the industry. And I think that's where the wait and see response often stems from, which is like where as an industry, we're really good at starting things. And we're really good at coming up with ideas for things because that's what we do, right? What we're not always good at is consistently delivering things day in, day out year after year. And the Ofcom report that I mentioned earlier also found that BAME representation at senior levels within the five major TV organisations in the UK was just 9%. And obviously the, the BBC recently appointed Tim Davey as its new director general, making him the 17th white man to lead the organisation. 
Do you think that with that appointment, the BBC has perhaps missed the chance to commit to fighting for a more diverse and representative industry? Not necessarily, no. I mean, it's not about the person necessarily that's at the top of an organisation like that. It's about the people that are empowered to spend the money. Plain and simple. This is a business and we only we only survive by being either employed to do stuff or employed to buy stuff or employed to sell stuff. Okay, so the people that are making those decisions, if they're more reflective of society, then you'll get a wider range of material. I mean, I think, you know, this is sort of slightly going back, but it's related to the previous point, is that I think one of the reasons why a brand like Netflix like is so strong with diverse communities is because when you go to Netflix, you don't see just one show in any particular genre that reflects your potential experience. You see like multiple factual shows, multiple comedy shows, multiple drama shows, multiple factual entertainment shows, and some of the presence and the representation is incidental and some of it is pertinent. But that's because they're clearly their strategy is we want the whole world to be our customer. And so we need to appeal to as many different customers as possible. And so that's what it is more about for me is that that senior leadership needs to be in positions of power and decision making and needs to understand that like the audience is going to go somewhere else. And you may not feel that today, but in five years time, if you haven't grabbed that audience, it's going to be very difficult to get them to come back. And the Davids, what is your take on uh, Tim Davies' appointment at the BBC? It does kind of uh, smack of uh, the, the, you know, the, the establishment and, you know, and, and, and who is part of the who's part of that uh, i guess uh, it is you know the optics as they say you know is is it, it aren't um, aren't great in terms of uh, you know projecting that change that they may be looking to instill throughout the organization but um, yeah for me it's um, you know it's just a, a case of the establishment uh, sort of reinforcing itself yeah i think um again i haven't been paying too much attention to it in this, on a certain level because as Darren said, it kind of it's very much I'm very much kind of focused on the commissioner level in terms of, you know, as an indie producer, kind of those relationships are the essential key day-to-day things that directly impact your business. And what goes on at the DG level is kind of pertinent, but it's not going to change change the landscape. Um, it would have been great if it was a woman, if I if I if I'm honest, just in terms of just even like a little bit of a change of the dial, like pushing the dial slightly. But simultaneously, I hate to kind of bash on the BBC because I think it's so easy and um, they're in a kind of almost perennially awkward position of both being like, you know, the nation's auntie, you know, the, the, the punching bag for politicians. And for me, I, I've had so many significant breaks um, in my um, career in terms of opportunities that have been given essentially by the BBC. So I think for me, from a both as a writer and as a producer, it's it's the commissioner level that is impactful and those figureheads. What's what's ideally important is that they plan for the future and set a tone that really empowers change. And if you have um, allies, um, even if they're not necessarily from your community, but they are as passionate about advocating for you, that is 
um, that is essential. So hopefully he will prove to be one of those. And just to wrap up, um, obviously we've mentioned that it's not the first time that issues of race representation within the TV industry have come up. It's not going to be the last time that it's going to be debated again. Um, but it feels that the wider conversation has become a bit bigger, that perhaps cultural psyche is a bit more committed to try and make a change this time around. Um, there's obviously been loads of uh, Black Lives Matter protests across the US and across the UK and other European cities as well. Um, but what would you like to see the British TV industry learn from the Black, from the Black Lives Matter movement? What changes do you think that they should implement off the back of this movement? So I think it would be beneficial if, if people just own their failures a little bit more. Just own the fact that you haven't been good enough and that people aren't necessarily paranoid about thinking that things haven't been going their way, that things just haven't been going the way of people of colour in this country to the extent that they should have been. Like if you're open and you own that, then we're more likely, I think, to believe that you want to change it. I think that's the thing. And I think there's a there's I think there's I think so so for example, I think Channel 4's statement is really interesting. And I think the trend for companies at the moment to declare themselves as anti-racist, I think is quite significant in a way because you're taking a stand. You're not like an you're not, you know, I think the times of benign neglect, I think those times are being less tolerated. And I think you have to do something and you have to own your part of the problem if you also want to be a part of the solution. You know, I think that um, it does seem to be a, a kind of a, a grassroots kind of groundswell from all ethnicities across the world. Young people especially have kind of, uh, you know, uh, come forward. Uh, young white people, you know, have, have really uh, kind of got the establishment to, to, to pay attention to this. So, so I do feel that um, this kind of groundswell will impact uh, on, on, on the TV networks. Netflix kind of led the charge uh, quite early on when they said that they uh, they stand with Black Lives Matter. And then we saw this uh, kind of plethora of uh, other uh, companies and, uh, and, and TV channels uh, also sort of fall in line with that. I would say come back to me in six months. You know, let's see what's, you know, what's happened, what's come through the pipeline in, in that time. Because as you said, we have heard it many times before, you know, this kind of knee-jerk um, reaction to an incident. Um, this does, uh, you know, as, as Darren says, feel um, a little a little bit different, and some of the statements have, have been quite significant. But again, you know, um, it's uh, it, it's it's all about what what we see on screen and and you know what is reflected back at us. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I totally agree with that. I think I mean, obviously, it's it's something that's been an ongoing conversation. To be honest, for, for as long as I've been in the industry, and there's been different waves of kind of complaint. And there's been different waves of attempts to address that. I've been the direct beneficiary of several programs that have uh, one with Skillset, uh, one with Channel Four, both designed to increase diversity within the industry and kind of starting at a kind of grassroots kind of researcher kind of um, assistant level. I think is it something that is necessarily like an inflection point, like a kind of you know a moment of genuine transformation? I think the, the, the wait and see is obviously kind of. Pertinent. I think kind of my personal approach is one whereby it's a question of looking at my slate and both as a writer, but also as a producer um, in terms of am I putting my money where my mouth is in terms of people I commission, um, in terms of writers I work with, in terms of projects that I develop, kind of what am I kind of living up to those standards in terms of um, 
work that I want to put out, put, put out there into the world. Obviously, having these conversations are really important. It's really important to kind of advocate for change. I think it's really important to kind of gather together and push an agenda collectively. But also, I think it does kind of come down to individual responsibility as well. That's not to deny the fact that there are obviously, as we know, and as clearly, and I don't think it's a point we can kind of go back from in terms of the structural issues. But I, I, I try and take it down to a bit more of a granular level in terms of am I doing, am I living by my own kind of standards in a professional context? And I'm, am I hopefully also passing that back down the ladder in terms of the assistance I hire, in terms of creating opportunities for new people that are not necessarily tried and tested, but clearly have talent and ability. So actions speak louder than words. That's all for this episode. There'll be more from the podcast tomorrow, but in the meantime, stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest developments by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. Thanks for listening.